the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel filling in for the mighty Seth Liebson uh, here on 960 The Patriot. If you want to call in, we have no guests for this next hour. They're all uh, slacking off on vacation or at CPAC, so they're dead to me. That's all I have to say. But our call-in number here is 602-508-0960. So if you want to call in, chat about what's going on this week in the news, let me know as we head into the weekend. Um, one book that I've been – I love uh, hosting Seth's show because you are well-read. And uh, I read a fantastic book, finished it earlier this week. It's by a writer named Martin Gurry who writes for City Journal a lot. But he wrote this book in 2014 called Revolt of the Public. And he had to self-publish it. No publisher wanted it because they're like, yeah, this doesn't make a lot of sense. But then a book publisher came running to him in 2018 to republish it and to add a very long chapter uh, because it was so prescient. It was so good. Basically, what he did is predict the Trump moment. Uh, this guy was a former CIA analyst, and his whole job was connecting disparate threads of information and uh, tying them together into projections for what the future might hold. And he was looking around like in 2011 to 2014 when he decided to write a book about it at a lot of the unraveling going on around the world. I mentioned before Trump was not just um, something that happened in America and happened nowhere else. A few months before Trump was elected in 2016, you had the the Brexit vote. And that was something that, again, shocked the elites. They couldn't believe it. Why are these rabble talking back to us with essentially their attitude on it? And – they still seem utterly confused. They eked into office with Biden, and now they think, well, that's over. Our populist moment is over. And this book by Martin Gurry is so good and it was so prescient, uh, it predicted Trump. And uh, his additional chapter, when he republished it in 2018 with a major publisher, um, he said, wow, I, I thought I was on to something, but you know, I was too modest in my <laughs> – in my thoughts about uh, people fighting back. And kind of what you have is the power of information. It used to be controlled by three networks on TV, a handful of radio stations. Um, This is kind of, you think back to like the 80s, mid-80s before Rush Limbaugh, rest in peace, revolutionized AM radio, that you had one approved narrative and all the major networks shared it. You had papers like the Washington Post and the New York Times, that set the agenda for the rest of the newspapers in America, whether, you know, it's the Arizona Republic here in the Phoenix area or, you know, the the local papers for Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, where my parents grew up. So you just had um, a group at the top who spoke with what they considered the voice of God. Once you had the information revolution with the Internet, with social media, all of a sudden people could talk back. And the elites still haven't figured out how to deal with that. Um, it's only been happening for over two decades now, folks, uh, probably 25 years, and it's only accelerating. 
you know, everybody almost has a cell phone right now, a smartphone where they can log into social media. They can uh, record things on video that will embarrass politicians, as we saw with Ted Cruz uh, heading down to Cancun uh, for a couple days there when it was blizzard conditions throughout Texas. But again, the people are the ones with the power now, and the elites are just basically trying to silence everyone. And uh, let me give you this quote from Martin Gurry, just a fantastic book. I highly recommend it. Again, Revolt of the Public is the title of it. But as he explains it, quote, the elites that ran our institutions had the authority to provide information, frame it, and explain the world. That's completely gone. And with it, there's been a bleeding away of expert authority. And a public has been created that's essentially very angry. And uh, yes, they're angry at the elites. And if you look in the past, when you had these big industrial era government programs, FDR, even uh, the interstate highway system with Eisenhower, you would say, they would say, okay, let's map this out. Let's spend a lot of money on it. And then it would actually work, even if you weren't a fan of you know FDR's craziness, uh, trying to socialize America, basically. For the most part, they were fairly popular. The news uh, reporters said, oh, these are good. Even when something went wrong, they would minimize it. Think of JFK's uh, Bay of Pigs invasion at the start of his tenure in D.C. in the White House. But now all these huge grand projects that government goes on are failing repeatedly. Uh, I mentioned earlier Afghanistan. We've been there for over 20 years now. Um, you know, the government promised we got this. We got it figured out. They did not have it figured out. It did not work. Iraq didn't go the way that uh, George W. Bush thought it would and how he sold it is going. You had Obamacare and the nightmare that is. Uh, it didn't work at all and it was best exemplified by when they released the website that they promised would be Amazon but for health insurance and the entire system just crapped out and failed and it's never been a success. Um, people in Congress, they haven't repealed it, but they've picked at it here and there. And uh, John Roberts, of course, said it was constitutional, which it clearly is not. But again, this huge, ambitious, you know, promise to be successful solution proposed by Washington, D.C. has failed. Our elites have failed us again. 2008, the real estate crash, the stock market collapsing. What happened with that? Well, we'll bail out the rich companies and we won't bail out other people. Uh, people were mad about that. In the early days of the Tea Party, um, despite the uh, liberal narrative on that, it was anti-GOP and anti-Democrat. They didn't like Obama, but they were furious with George W. Bush for bailing out all these huge Wall Street firms. So again and again, when government tries these big ambitious projects, they end in failure. And it, I don't have a problem with the best and brightest per se if they actually are the best and they are actually bright, which they usually are not. I have no problem with them uh, taking over a certain agency or all right, let's uh, take over the USDA and improve agriculture policy. The problem is with these elites are they're failing at everything they do and then are furious when regular folks like you and I notice that they're failing and they double down. And they attack the messenger. Um, they call us deplorables. They call us all sorts of things, racist, transphobic, whatever the uh, woke insult of the year is. That's what they call us. And all we're doing is noticing uh, that they're full of it, that the emperor's new clothes um, are just them walking around stark raving naked. 
You see that with the media. CNN is the worst at this, but MSNBC as well. If you criticize their deceptive narrative, they lash out at you. Uh, They should be trying to win our viewership instead of insulting us 24-7. But that's all they've got because they think I've got the right master's degree from the right college. I have all the credentials I need. Therefore, shut up and listen to me. And uh, people are tired of being told to be (laughs) – to shut up and just to listen to their quote-unquote betters, especially when day after day they see that their betters are not better at all. Um, Frankly, I would take, uh, you know, my local plumber running a major state agency over most of these pampered elites that are running it because they're failing. And I would like someone with a can-do attitude, maybe someone very skilled in the trades who could go in there and fix things. Because if you're working on a piece of hardware, if you're fixing plumbing, if you're a welder, if you're in construction, you're used to solving actual problems and solving them quickly and solving them cheaply because you're out of business if you're not able to do that. Um, I think Washington could use more can-do spirit like that instead of just insulting and ridiculing the people who continue to vote them out of office. So again, Martin Gurry's thesis is just I remember Glenn Reynolds, the great instapundit, one of the original the herb bloggers, said basically it's you know it's hunting season and the deer have guns now. That's pretty much what it is, and the elites cannot handle it. And how they have not adjusted to this new environment after decades in the making is just beyond me. They really think that the election of Joe Biden, everything will be back to normal. Uh, the clock has been reset to 2015. And all their great ideas are just going to roll along. Well, even on the liberal side, um, you know, you don't have people like AOC saying, oh, yeah, Biden's great. I agree with everything he does. She's an insurgent as well. The Democratic Party and the GOP are filled with insurgents who are sick of being told what to do. And you can agree with their ideas or disagree with them. But for those in power in D.C., in the media, in Manhattan, in the entertainment industry, and in Hollywood, uh, these people are no longer in control and they don't seem to realize it yet. So um, we have a lot more power than we're told we have and we can take that back. Um, and frankly, I, I like our chances. We're a heck of a lot smarter than these goofballs who just think they got the right degree from the right school and that gives them all the authority they need. So we'll continue talking. We have some callers calling in. And we'll get back to you right after this break and talk with our first caller. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel filling in here on 960 The Patriot. We have our first caller, John from Phoenix. How are you doing, John? I'm doing fine, John. How are you? Doing great. I was listening a few uh, a while ago. When you read a quote from Jimmy Carter's Malay's speech, and it may have been a trick of my hearing, but I thought I heard you use the term Malay's in yes. that quote. So you're fairly certain that Jimmy Carter did use the term Malay's in his uh, Malay's speech. Oh, yeah. Um, in his quote, I don't believe he actually said it, at least in my research. Um, I had uh, looked it up. And I don't believe that he used the phrase Malays actually used it, but immediately after the speech, everybody kind of referred to it as the Malays speech, not to be confused with his wearing a warm sweater in the White House speech, which is another brilliant moment from uh, that president. 
Well, I'd just like to say that I remember the speech. I watched it live. He did so use the term malaise. And that night on the Johnny Carson show, Johnny Carson echoed the term in his monologue. <laughs> so I, I, I went to YouTube and, and tried to listen to the speech myself. And the term malaise was not in it. But I feel that it could have been edited out. And it's a mystery to me why anyone would want to. Right. But I'd swear on a stack of Bibles, he did so say malaise in that speech. Gotcha. Maybe it wasn't in the written remarks or something, but said it anyway. And yeah, if Johnny Carson referred to it, um, uh, those of us of a couple more years than uh, the millennials uh, remember, that was probably the main way news was distributed. <laughs> it was Johnny Carson's <laughs> monologue making fun of a politician, and the next week they'd be down in the polls. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was a dark time. As I mentioned, I remember being a little kid and waiting in long, long gas lines in North Phoenix, what was then the very border of North Phoenix, which was about 32nd Street and Cactus. That isn't quite the northern border anymore. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was just a dark time. Everybody was just in a foul mood, just like they are now. And I think there would be some layups that uh, Biden could do. And he just seems completely unwilling to. He'd rather listen to teachers' unions and uh, his far left wing. Yeah. Well, I uh, just wanted to say that um, we had stagflation at that time. And um, Gerald Ford lost the election, I think, because of how the economy was doing. And Jimmy Carter, four years later, I think he lost because the economy was still struggling. But um, anyway, I just want people to know, don't believe everything you hear, because they say he didn't use the term malaise, but I say that he did. All right. Well, thanks for calling in with that. And yeah, it malaise was the appropriate word. That was just a bleak, bleak time in this country. Those who remember it or those who just read about it. Well, thanks for calling in, John. Really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Carter, um, that, that's kind of how I look at Joe Biden, just kind of this inept person who can't really speak well, doesn't know what to say, doesn't know what to do. He's just kind of dragged from one podium to the next, not sure exactly what he's saying. Um, I don't know, and something, if somebody wants to call in with their thoughts, and this isn't to be rude to Joe Biden. I wish him well. I wish him great health. I hope he lives to 150. But from the start of the Democratic primaries, everybody, left and right, was going, wow, how did he get so old in just three or four years? What what exactly happened? And he had some personal blows, family matters. His son passed away. His other son uh, has a couple issues if you've uh, read, the, <laughs> read the press over the past few months. Um, but yeah, it's just – it's those of us with aging parents. My dad uh, passed away a couple of years ago now. And you can just tell when they've lost a step. Um, I don't think he's going to go up for election in 2024. Um, I don't know if his health will preclude it per se, but uh, I don't think the Democrats will pull up with him, will put up with him. I think that the main reason in like December or so, Nancy Pelosi pushed this 25th Amendment, we need to be able to quickly and easily remove a president because they aren't up to the job. I don't think that was about Trump. Trump had officially, at least at that time, lost the election, at least in the polls that were released, uh, the numbers that were released. I don't think she was doing that for Trump. I think she was doing that for Biden. Uh, 
<laughs> I, I know just a couple weeks after the inauguration, you started having people gossiping around Capitol Hill saying, well, you know, 25th Amendment, you know, that is always an option. And the guys definitely lost a step. They were speaking off the record. But I think the groundwork is already being laid for a President Kamala, which, whew, that would be ugly. I, I don't want someone um, with that bad an understanding of how to run a country um, her pension for jumping into extreme positions on uh, the culture war, uh, her complete ineptness when it comes to economics 101. Uh, maybe she can stop by a D.C. Uh, community college and learn a little bit more about how to build a successful economy. But I think there's a lot of other people. Kamala is not a very popular person among her fellow Democratic senators. She did abysmally when she ran for president, and there's a reason for that. People don't like her. She's not genuine. They don't like her. She's kind of like a slightly younger Hillary Clinton. She's just not a great person. She doesn't have a great amount of experience. So I think there's a lot of other Democrats out there who would love to challenge that and not just coronate her as the way that the left can get into power because she's inept. Uh, Biden is inept. She's inept. And the more people see of these guys, um, guys and women, the, the less they're going to like it. So um, America has a lot of solutions that are waiting to be implemented, and we're just seeing dithering from the White House. You see Joe Biden just talking down America, bad-mouthing it, bad-mouthing our, uh, our uh, fight against COVID, which is just crazy. He was granted a vaccine before he even took office. Um, you, you just countless people were immunized before he took office, and he could just ride the wave, ride the quest, uh, ride the crest. Um, our economy is fixing to boom. There's people who have been kind of locked away in their homes, haven't been able to go on vacations, haven't been able to take business trips. They are champing at the bit to get out there and do stuff and buy stuff and fix up their house and buy a new car. Um, it's not going to happen if you have a president who's just saying everything is terrible. And by the way, let's spend $1.9 trillion dollars on a COVID recovery when all the money is just going to bail out these horribly run blue states when red states have been doing much, much better when we're dealing uh, with economics or the COVID reaction. Look at the mess that we're going to be talking uh, with someone in the next hour about uh, the mess that Governor Cuomo was in. He was lionized by the press and anybody who kind of peeked beneath that veneer knew that he was full of it, knew that he was failing, knew that more people were dying. I, I think the last time I checked the numbers, and these probably still hold, the worst state uh, for COVID deaths per capita was New Jersey, and just infinitesimally behind that was New York. They neighbor each other. They were de COVID was dealt with horribly in those places. Trump set this huge Navy hospital ship up there, and Cuomo said, no, let's just uh, send COVID-positive patients to nursing homes. That's a, that's a wise move on my part. Uh, things are finally falling apart for him. But um, Americans are not going to be happy to go $1.9 trillion in hawk to bail out upper-middle-class kids who can't pay off their college debt because they got something in intersectional basket-weaving masters or something. And uh, we're not going to want to bail out the bad decisions of California and New York. So we will be coming back after this bottom of the hour break, a little news update, a few ads, and then we will be back at it again. Give us a call, 602-508-0960. Talk to you on the other side.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel filling in. Uh, a little background on me. I'm editor-in-chief at ricochet.com, a fantastic website. Uh, please check it out. I host a podcast called The King of Stuff because I'm famed for my humility. Of my many qualities, I'm probably proudest of my humility, so I named it The King of Stuff. also write every other week for the Arizona Republic. You can find those articles at azcentral.com. I am kind of the house-trained conservative over there, uh, a nice little token, hopefully bringing a bit of sanity to those pages, which uh, might not uh, be the most sane in every article that they publish. So thanks to Seth for having me on. You can give us a call here if you want to chat. We have no guests for this half hour. We got one the next half hour. But our number here is 602-508-0960. This is a great station. Like I said, everybody listening is very intelligent and literate. But that's why I've always liked these uh, La Patriot, and you got great people on, Hugh Hewitt, uh, for one thing. Um, one of my introductions into uh, conservative thought and blogging, he was actually a big supporter when I first started blogging, when I was just this lowly anonymous blogger. We went to a KKNT event to see him speak. Gosh, this was, what, 12 years ago, maybe? And uh, he, uh, me and my blogger buddy, he uh, made a stand up and everybody read their blog. So he's always been very supportive to getting new voices out there. And that's frankly why I turned into writing today. I was just uh, stuck in the private sector. Well, I enjoyed it. But uh, when things got pretty bad with government, I finally decided to take the plunge and uh, be a commenter, uh, commentator full time on these issues. So thanks again for listening. Really appreciate it. Something that I mentioned um, in the last half hour was just how much better red states are doing than the blue states when it came to COVID response. One thing we've seen in Arizona, um, our economy is charged and ready to roar. Uh, you've had a year straight of people demanding that everything be shut down, that there is a legal mask mandate. All across the state, whether you're in a rural town, you live out in the country on a ranch, or you live in a crowded environment like, say, on a campus at ASU or something like that, um, he rejected all those to his credit. Uh, he allowed restaurants and stuff to open earlier than many, many other states did. Frankly, I would prefer they were never closed, but hey, it wasn't like these California shutdowns or New York City shutdowns. But um, <laughs> instead of focusing on the success of the red states, the national press has attacked Ron DeSantis in Florida, who's probably speaking at CPAC over this weekend. They're meeting in Florida this week. Um, they just lambasted him, say he's a murderer, he's killing people, and they gave an Emmy to Andrew Cuomo. Uh, now An Andrew Cuomo's fortunes are completely falling apart. Then you have West Virginia, a, a very conservative state. Sometimes they'll elect a Democrat like uh, Manchin, but uh, the people there, regardless of their party affiliation, tend to, more, tend to be more conservative in their outlook. They have done more vaccinations than anyone else. They're killing it. Uh, Israel is another good example. Instead of uh, figuring out, well, why don't we focus on the trans people of color with partial disabilities who happen to be over 72.5 years old – Instead, they were just sticking needles in any, anyone who wanted one got one. No messing around. When they had, like, say, 10 doses left and no more um, customers waiting there, they'd run out in the street, uh, immunize the pizza delivery guy. They just went to town on it and got out of the way of the medical staff trying to immunize the populace. Anybody who wanted the vaccine could get one. 
And that's kind of how West Virginia did it. They <laughs> worked with businesses there. They said, like, government isn't good at this. Let's talk with uh, people like um, Walgreens to uh, get the stuff out there. Walmart, get, get the stuff out there. They understand uh, the logistics of this a lot better than some guy sitting in a cubicle in uh, the state house for West Virginia. So instead, you have, for the past couple months now, you have Mayor Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York City, and Andrew Cuomo spending all their time giving press conferences, blaming each other for not getting the vaccines out when they should be focusing on getting the stupid vaccines out. Um, guys, it is not that complicated. Get it out there. If you want, say, you know, the first month, okay, just uh, everybody 65 and up, come to this place, we'll uh, poke you with the needle and we will be done. But instead, they're worried about equity and uh, is this diverse enough? Are the people giving out these medications diverse enough? Um, stop focusing on all the silly stuff. Stop trying to control the situation. Uh, just let people get vaccinations if they want to. Um, so kudos to the red states for outpacing the blue states. Once again, we'll be back after these messages. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel filling in this Friday as we get ready to wrap up a long week. Give us a call, 602-508-0960. One thing that's been in the news a lot, and this isn't just this week, although it has happened this week. Uh, we had uh, stories about cancel culture coming out of the New York Times recently. They fired a long, long time. I think he's been there since the 70s, science reporter, because he used the forbidden word, the N-word, on a student trip to Peru. So you had all these incredibly wealthy, um, pale students uh, who left their private school for a week to jet off to Peru. Um, I think I was lucky to get a trip to Gila Bend when I was in high school here. But uh, they're out in Peru. And <laughs> he used the N-word because they're basically discussing, should it be okay for people to use the N-word? They're just having a talk about it. He wasn't insulting anyone. Well, he's been there for whatever it's been, 40, 50 years. They canned him. And uh, But then the New York Times, to their credit, uh, wrote a fascinating story a couple days ago about Smith College, an incredibly woke private school in the Northeast, I believe. And you had a student who decided that the janitors and the workers in the cafeteria there were racist because they asked her to leave when she was trying to eat, even though the facility was closed. Uh, they were told to ask her to leave. They very politely asked her to leave. She said, these working class stiffs are racist and I demand that they be fired. Well, yeah, four people fired for this very wealthy student. I think it's like 80K a year is what tuition costs at this abysmal, just cultural desert, academic desert. And uh, she got them fired. Um, this cancel culture is very ugly. And a lot of times it will hit people at the bottom rung of the socioeconomic ladder. Uh, one thing, though, I got a chance to speak at a conference on Friday uh, to a lot of college students. Um, it was kind of weird in that I didn't have to travel anywhere. I had to go to a place, and they filmed me, and all the students were on Zoom, um, which was kind of odd. So I was speaking to a completely empty room and to a camera, 
And as everyone knows, uh, my speeches are brilliant and hilarious, and I'm used to you know cheers emanating from the crowd. Sometimes they do the wave; they're so thrilled with the uh, boring stuff I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, you could get no reaction. Uh, but something I brought up with them when it came to cancel culture is I think conservatives have an odd advantage here. Um, it's usually presented as just pure negativity. And you do have a lot of stories. I've seen cancel culture take down a few of my friends, some far more accomplished than me, some just starting out. But conservatives um, have kind of a weird advantage in this in that we're actually conservative uh, we know what we believe. Uh, we have thoughts and positions on matter that have held true, in some cases, for thousands of years. The people who are really terrified of cancel culture are like this science reporter for the New York Times, um, the editors of the New York Times, anyone in middle management of the New York Times. These are the people who are terrified of cancel culture because they don't know what they believe. Um, they shift with the zeitgeist. If, uh, you know, three years ago the issue is Me Too, that's all they care about. Two years ago it's Greta Thunberg and climate change, then that's all they care about. A year ago it's Black Lives Matter, and so that's all they care about at that moment. Uh, the ground is constantly shifting under them, and they know it. And once you get to a certain age, uh, you're not in touch with the latest hashtags going on on Twitter. You don't know that it's wrong to call... Uh, an African-American, African-American, but now it needs to be black, and if it's in print, it always needs to be capitalized, and you also need to uncapitalize white. Um, the reason they can't keep up with this is they don't really make any sense. Uh, basically, you have this wokeocracy, which just flips the script and changes the rules every couple of months, and these middle managers in left-leaning industries, Hollywood, um, cable news, uh, the, print, uh, the printed word in journalism, all these people are just terrified because they're the ones who are going to get canceled because they have no firm beliefs. Um, so my take is a little counterintuitive on cancel culture. I think the main losses you will see going forward in cancel culture because conservatives have figured out, look, if you didn't do anything wrong, don't apologize. You know, If you go on some profane tirade against someone and it's caught on video – you should apologize. It's like, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. I lost my cool. Here's what I was dealing with. Sorry. But most of these efforts at cancellation are you believe the wrong thing or you did not use the latest phrase to discuss, say, a trans person. Um, and it's a rule that they made up like hours earlier. So there's no way that conservatives can keep up with it. And we don't need to keep up with it because we actually know what we believe. Um the people who are just so worried is, like in the New York Times, you had all these people who were hired direct from the university straight to the New York Times. They did not go through the process of, uh, okay, I'm going to work at a newspaper in Sun City, then I'll get kicked upstairs, and I'll work for the business journal here locally, and then maybe I'll get a good gig at the LA Times. And after 10, 20 years, they work their way up to the New York Times, and they get better in their craft. Instead, they're hiring people right out of Ivy League schools and giving them all this power and saying, you are important and you are brilliant, just like every professor has ever told you. Well, when they arrive, the New York Times is a 20-something. They come from the purest form of privilege anybody could possibly come from. Uh, we've all met the Harvard grad who uh, I've met several who don't talk about it. and But most of them I met, they will work in the fact that they went to Harvard Every other paragraph, I would say. Um, 
these are the people who are coming up through the ranks at the New York Times. They have no experience. Uh, they lack that experience that gives you a little bit of humility, understanding what you don't know. And they're out for blood. They just want everybody fired, everyone canceled. If someone says the wrong terminology, they say this is violence and I feel threatened and they need to go. And you have all these left-leaning corporations just giving in, immediately giving in because they're terrified that they're going to be next. Um, if an assistant editor needs to be kicked out of the office for using a term incorrectly, they're like, well, if I throw him to the wolves, maybe they will ignore me for the next year and a half until I hit 65 and can retire. That's what these people are doing. So cancel culture, yes, it stinks. It stinks bad. But we do have that powerful advantage of actually understanding and being people who have thought about our deeply held beliefs about race, about gender, about identity, about the environment. We know what we believe. We've thought about it. Uh, they've done numerous studies of people, and conservatives are always far better read, uh, far more interested in the issues, know more about the issues, uh, because the left is just chasing after the moral panic of the age, whatever it might be. And once again, that changes every news cycle, what we're supposed to care about. You don't hear a lot about Greta Thunberg anymore. A couple of years ago, that's all you could hear about. It, it was just wall-to-wall -wall fretting about the environment collapsing. And then when that panic failed, they just jumped onto another panic. So um, we do – we can have some confidence in writing this out, writing out this insanity that is cancel culture and just understanding – you don't need to do this mewling, groveling apology if you didn't do anything wrong. So, yeah, if you get something wrong, um, you can apologize for it. But when they say it's wrong to be who you are, to share your identity, whatever that might be, whatever your beliefs are, they're full of it. They have no power. And uh, most of us, at least, hopefully all of us, can weather the storm. We're going to be going to a quick break, and then I will be back to finish up this hour of The Seth Liebson Show. I'm John Gabriel, filling in today. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel filling in for Seth today. Uh, we're about to wrap up this hour. Next hour, we have Carol Markowitz on, a fantastic writer, mostly for the New York Post. She's written elsewhere also, but she has her ear on the ground of New York. And we want to talk about, she has been way out in front at school reopenings of the nursing home mess going on in New York when everybody in the press was falling over themselves praising Governor Andrew Cuomo she was holding his feet to the fire, and good for her. She's finally, at long last, been proven right. So I thought she would be great to talk to about what is going on in New York State, in New York City, with Governor Cuomo, with de Blasio in New York, and uh, just COVID, the school closures, everything. So she's a great writer, great guest to have on to talk about that. Talking about cancel culture, yeah, um, as I was saying, I think uh, the those with advantages – are the people who have a consistent worldview. Um, there's a lot of danger for the left in that they think every year should be year zero and we're starting from scratch. They don't understand of time, kind of generational wisdom. 
uh, generation after generation passes down wisdom of how life works, what the human condition is. And I really think that conservatives in general, especially uh, religious conservatives, whatever your religion might be, have a huge advantage because as people, we have a view to the eternal, whereas the left, all they can focus on is the news cycle trying to change the news cycle or reacting to the moral panic that just happened yesterday. Um, we saw that throughout the Trump era where everything he said in the morning on Twitter became the news of the day and everyone had to oppose it because you can't support anything Trump says, of course. If you want to stay in good standing as, uh, say, associate producer on CNN, you need to oppose it and you need to go crazy opposing it and say things on Twitter that are far crazier than anything Trump said to begin with to prove how woke you are. So again, cancel culture has the seeds of its own of the left's destruction within it. Um, they always purge everyone to their left and the revolution always kills the revolutionaries basically is the concept. And if you ever read about the French Revolution, that's what it was. You had classical liberals saying, hey, we got to take out the king, um, move him to the side. Maybe he'll go on exile or into retirement. And we can do some changes so we have more of our parliamentary system. Those guys got killed when a further left group came out. Then a further left killed that far left group. And on and on it went. And this is what we're going to be watch happening on the left over the next couple of years. Biden cannot tamp that down. He cannot please his far left flank. And then when those far left people overthrow Biden, they will be overthrown by someone even further to their left. So... Um, Keep your head on a swivel out there, folks. But I think we're going to get through this, and I think we do have an odd advantage in all these fights. We'll be talking to Carol Markowitz on the next hour. We're going to some news and ads. Listen to those. I'll talk to you on the other side.